Jesus is speaking to this idea. He's challenging the entire worldview that had been embraced, that had been adopted, the world's tactics and the values of hatred and violence and war, and he's doing it in the name of peace. Look at ourselves today. Look at our culture. Look at everywhere you look. Are we any different? Don't we function according to these same values so often? Don't we employ these tactics to control, to get what we want? I mean, think about it. Our words are brutal. Online, in our media, in our neighborhoods. Our words are brutal. The shame is incessant. Right? We manipulate emotions. We cancel people we hate in our culture. I'm reminded of the great quote by Dr. Martin Luther King, the great civil rights leader. He says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Jesus is aggressively arguing this truth on that hillside and spends the better part of the Sermon on the Mount through chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. And he's saying how, he's trying to teach people how we operate from a different set of ethics, a different set of competing values, of countercultural values. And he confronts the ways of the world with the ways of the Spirit, the ways of the Holy Spirit. Here's, I want to I give you three examples, all right? And I want you to stay with me because we'll go deep and then we'll come back out, okay? Can you go with me? All right, three examples, just a few verses in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gets to one point and he says, teaches on turning the other cheek. Matthew 5, 38 through 39 says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, essentially three different passages, Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. And you have to understand that this was kind of the guide these references in the Old Testament are the guide for retribution in their culture. In the Old Testament, this was a way to say, hey, the punishment needs to fit the crime. In other words, if someone steals from you, you, you can't go burn down their house. Right? So, so this, is, this is the Old Testament teaching and helping this Jewish community become a community that operates according to these rules. Most scholars believe that this was not really meant to be enforced literally. It was, it was likely a bit more of a metaphor. It was a guide, and it helped maintain justice. It wasn't an individual guideline. It wasn't an individual that, guideline that you employed. It was, um, it was not like... Um, now, this is how you do it. Once somebody pokes your eye out, you go to them, okay, give me your eye. That's not, that's not how it worked. It was meant to be applied on the part of governing authorities, those who were in charge, and they were employing these concepts. And they were the ones in charge of defending victims, protecting the parties, and taking care of crime. 
All right, so this is the backdrop of what Jesus is saying. All these Jewish people would have understood this in their context, and notice who Jesus is speaking to. Remember that this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and crowds of ordinary, everybody say ordinary, ordinary people just like you and me gathered there, but these people lived differently than you and I lived. They didn't live in a free society. They lived under Roman occupation. And they hate it. They hate these people. Because they're abusive. And they're hurting. Jesus is speaking to people. It's really important you understand that. Jesus is speaking to people who are not in power. They don't have power. And what these people want is the Messiah a military deliverer who will overthrow the Romans and restore the people of Israel to their rightful place. And Jesus comes and starts saying stuff like, turn the other cheek. What is he saying? You see, if you don't understand this context, you'll, you'll read all kinds of things into it. So here's the question. Why does he say right cheek? Why not just say cheek? Right, Kevin, come up here. Can you come up here real quick? Do a little, little illustration. We're going to do a little Will Smith illustration. You stand right here. Okay, so, so if he's standing here with me, right, and, and, and Jesus is, is talking about, and Jesus is talking about, he's, he actually says um, in the verse, he says, you heard him said, I for I but I tell you, resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, what is it about slapping on the right cheek? Now, in this culture, everybody would have known that you don't use your left hand for anything socially. Okay? The left hand was used for other things. We use toilet paper. You get my point. Okay, so, 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 so the left hand would not have been used. So Jesus is saying something that's culturally relevant here. So if you are being slapped on the right cheek, guess what it is? It's a backhand. <laughs> I'm not going to do it to you, but that was, that was really nice. You, you, were, you were leaning in just like Chris Rock. Just like Chris Rock, you were right there. It's, it's like right here. Yes. <laughs> and, and so it's a backhand. Thank you, Kevin. Yes, he did a good job. I'm not going to let you turn the other cheek right here. So, so here's the thing. So this is, a, this is an act of shaming. It's a backhand. It's an act of shaming the other person. Something you would do to an inferior person. Something you would do to a slave. Maybe a child. Maybe a woman in that day who women were not respected in that culture. This is a shame and honor culture that Jesus is speaking to, which we didn't really used to know much about, but now with social media and cancel culture, we're starting to understand what it's like. It's like shame's everywhere. Everybody wants to shame somebody. And this isn't, this, this is a, a lot like what Jesus was speaking into. Jesus isn't really talking about violence as much as he's talking about dishonor. Dishonor. And think, you know, do you ever watch cartoons, Bugs Bunny, Right? It takes the, the glove off and, right? Like, like that's our, like kind of our only um, context for this. It's not just, a, it's, a, it's not a culture of violence necessarily. It's a culture of dishonor and a culture of disagreement and a culture of disrespect. Now listen to this. He says, if they strike your right cheek, turn to them the one 
the other one also. So now, who is this person that is turning their cheek? And who is this person that's actually doing the slapping? Now the person doing the slapping is in a unique situation because the person who was slapped didn't, didn't turn, didn't run, didn't cower. They could slap you again. They could slap you again, but it's kind of like using the same joke twice. It never works the second time. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, it doesn't work. This act was meant to shame you, but it didn't work. Turning the other cheek isn't being cowardly and letting people walk all over you for Jesus. It's standing up in the face of oppression and refusing to be defined by the oppressor. It's an act of dignity. You turn the other cheek out of dignity. And you have to see this. N.T. Wright, the theologian, he says it this way. He says, offering the other cheek implies, hit me again if you like, but now as an equal, not an inferior. See, it's harder to be a peacemaker than you think. It's harder to be a peacemaker than you think. Jesus, next illustration, he says, give him your coat too, Matthew 5.40, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So we can tell Jesus is kind of describing a legal proceeding. It's, a, it's about some sort of debt, right? And uh, we've got a shirt. We've got some translations say tunic, and that's your undergarment. And then you've got a coat. Some translations say cloak. That's a long overgarment. That would also be used for sleeping. This would... This would be a, a garment that would keep you warm. Think of it as a Snuggie. <laughs> have you, have you, anybody in the room ever bought a Snuggie? Come on, admit it. Did you? Yep. Four of us. Okay. That's why they're out of business. So I love Snuggies, though. There's something awesome about it. Under, but listen, under Mosaic law, no one could take your Snuggie. No one could take the thing that you were going to sleep with, your cloak. That, cloak, that was illegal. Okay. If a guy's being sued for his undershirt, safe to assume they got nothing left. They have nothing. They're poor. They're all, they, they've already lost everything else. Jesus says, don't just give them the shirt. Give them the thing they can't legally take. Give them your coat. Scholars think this would mean you're nearly naked, and that would be a shameful thing as well. Not just for you, but for anyone who saw you and for the person who sued you. And so now the tables are turned. He's taken everything from you, caused you shame. It's highlighted the absurdity of abuse, and now the oppressor is shamed for his actions. Maybe in the courtroom, where this guy looks and goes, the guy who's suing him looks and goes, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done this. This is shame. This is, this is terrible. You see, Jesus' teaching cuts through all the ways we size each other up in our society. All the ways that we divide each other by income, by race, by religion. Are they better than me or below me? This is the source of most conflict, this kind of thing. He says, everyone is made in the image of God, and therefore, everyone has inherent value and deserves dignity. This is the kind of peace 
This kind of peace is what we're called to make in our world. One more example, go the second mile. Go the second mile, Matthew 5, 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now in this first century in Israel, Roman soldiers could legally force people to carry their pack. All right, and uh, this might be up to like 85 pounds. Okay, so it was heavy, but they could only do so for one mile. If they forced you to go more, the soldier would be in trouble. Jesus says, if a Roman soldier does this to you, go along with him and then just keep on going. This soldier suddenly finds himself in a position he's never been in before. I mean, everybody complains. The, grumble, the grumbling for that whole mile. That's what everybody does. They're so irritated that this is happening to them. But instead, when you go the second mile, what happens? You shift the power. Everybody say, shift the power. Say it one more time. Shift the power. Now the soldier's like, hey, whoa, man. Hey, 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 can you put that down, please? Hey, stop, please. Hey, just stop carrying my stuff, bro. Hey, my, my commanding officer might see you. In three stories, Jesus is teaching what peaceful defiance looks like. Peaceful defiance. Do the unexpected. Use a peaceful act that actually restores dignity. Jesus is saying to respond in the opposite spirit. The opposite spirit of the aggressor. This is a lesson for all of us. This is how families work. This is how cultures work. You respond in the opposite spirit. You stop the aggression. That's why Proverbs says, a soft answer turns away wrath. Christians respond in the opposite culture. Sorry, the opposite spirit of their culture. Is it already 10 after? I am in so much trouble. All right. I told them to come, up, come on stage at 10 after and start playing me off like the Oscars, you know, like Oscar music. It's like, okay, so there it is. You can think of people that have done this in our culture. Rosa Parks. Not giving up her seat on the bus. She just said, I ain't getting off. She didn't lash out in violence. She just sat there. Martin Luther King marching over the bridge in Selma. Gandhi fighting oppression with nonviolent acts. Nelson Mandela dismantling apartheid in his country from jail. They didn't just peacefully work to stop violence and injustice. They worked to save and redeem the heart of the unjust person. It's a description of the kingdom of God. You have to see what Jesus was teaching here and how powerful it was because being a peacemaker is something that restores the peace between God and people and between people and people, between oppressors and the oppressed. A peacemaker is a person who helps make peace between Jew and Gentile, between the haves and the have-nots. 
And this isn't some sort of one-upsmanship. Like, like Jesus isn't saying, one-up everybody who mistreats you. That, that's not what he's saying. It's courageous confrontation that leads sometimes to peace. The most powerful expression of peace is something called love and justice. We have to act, actively engage with other people, not just hope it magically happens. I think Christians in our culture somehow have been afraid to engage or they engage in the wrong spirit. They engage with anger and yelling and screaming and insults rather than becoming a peacemaker. So I want us to end with two questions, okay? I want you to answer two questions. Because you've got, to, you've got to find your way to being a peacemaker. And peacemaking is not as easy or as simple as anybody likes to think. Oh, they're just, they're just so sweet. They just, they're so peaceful. No, you kind of have to have a backbone to make peace in the culture we live in. So the first question is, how were you taught to deal with conflict? How were you taught to deal with conflict in your family. I don't think I was discipled in any way to understand how to resolve conflict as I grew up in my own family. I had a really strong father figure who was kind of overbearing and a really low self-esteem mom who didn't know how to interact. And the peace in our home, there was a lack of conflict, but that was kind of the problem. The conflicts never materialized because the problems were never addressed. My mom yielded to every decision. My dad didn't know how to elevate her. Finally, she couldn't take it anymore. Most of us, most of us in our families likely were trained how to be peacekeepers not peacemakers. Peacekeeper is different than a peacemaker. Peacekeeper is a conflict avoider. Always appeasing, never dealing with the problem. Maybe not, maybe not peace through violence, but peace through silence. Just not saying anything. This happens all the time in your world, in my world, in our, with coworkers, with roommates, with spouses, with families. We don't want to rock the boat, but instead you gossip. Instead, you talk about it with somebody else. You become resentful, even passive-aggressive. Peacekeepers tend to think that if you don't create conflict, then the problem goes away. Not true, isn't it? Not true, is it? You all know that, but it doesn't go away. What happens? It expands. It expands. It gets worse. The pressure mounts. The bitterness leaks until there's an explosion of anger, violence, and probably hatred. My good friend, Pastor Aaron Stern, he says, peacekeeping leads to artificial peace, but peacemaking leads to authentic peace. So there's an artificial peace that I think we tend to lean into as Christians. Listen, Jesus doesn't teach, blessed are the peace seekers or the peace hopers or the peace pursuers. We have to actually engage and not just hope that peace appears. Very often we have to engage in conflict to bring peace. But, but engaging conflict in a way that elevates 
that respects, that dignifies what Jesus is trying to do. The second question I want you to ask yourself is what difficult circumstances or relationships am I avoiding to keep peace? What am I, what am I avoiding to keep peace in my life? This, most of you will have this answer is, revolves around your family, your extended family, brother, sister, parents, weird uncles. Most of us have this, and I think the statement by Pete Scazzaro, he wrote this book called The Emotionally Healthy uh, Spirituality. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says, Jesus is in my heart, but Grandpa's in my bones. What that means is you've got Jesus in here, but man, you got a generational thing happening, and Jesus is trying to work his way into you. And you've got to find a way to face the issues that you're dealing with in your families, at your workplace, friendships, whatever it is, because whatever is not transformed by Jesus will be transmitted to others. Avoiding the reality doesn't really work. You know why? Because you've ever heard that saying, the elephant in the room? There's an elephant in the room right? And everybody knows. And here's the thing about elephants. <laughs> here's the thing about elephants. I bet you didn't know. They feed on avoidance. They feed on avoidance. The more you avoid, the bigger the elephant gets. Starts taking up all the room. So to be peacemakers, we got to embrace two realities. Number one, you got you to believe that conflict is normal. It's okay to have conflict. Conf to be human is to have conflict. Just is. We say how conflict is bad, you know, and I started with this whole diatribe about all these places of conflict. Well, look, humans, humans are full of conflict. And it's been that way since they were kicked out of the garden <laughs> of Eden. Conflict is not the enemy. That's what we teach in premarital counseling. Amy and I, when we teach premarital counseling, conflict's not the enemy. The problem is not conflict. The problem is not having any conflict. <laughs> Because here's how you become a peacemaker. You learn how to deal with conflict. You deal, you deal with conflict in a way that elevates and helps and stirs up all the right things in another person. We all have to talk it out, walk, walk, walk it out and work it out. At home, at work, at school, at church. It's intimidating at first, but Jesus coaches us how to confront an offense in Matthew 18. All right, here's your homework. Ready? Matthew 18. Everybody write it down. Say it to me. Matthew 18, just like school children. No, it's a really good passage, and, and I want you to talk about it in your groups this week. Everybody in your groups, talk about Matthew 18 and talk about the, the way Jesus helps us to resolve conflict. What does he say? It's, it's step by step. It's so clear. Nobody ever needs to miss it. Go to your group and talk about it. And the second thing everybody's, all of us have to admit, all of us have to embrace is sacrificial love is necessary. If you're going to be a peacemaker, you're going to have to love people sacrificially. You're going to have to bring your whole self to it. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace 
through his blood shed on a cross. The way of peacemaking is the way of the cross. There's no shortcut, no avoidance of pain. Look, it's it's just like working out. Do you, you guys ever start working out? Amy and I start have started working out many, many times. Okay. But what you agree to when you start working out is short-term pain for long-term gain. That's what being a peacemaker is. Your emotional, spiritual, and even physical health depends on being a peacemaker because you'll be called children of God. People will be able to see God because of what you bring to the situation, because of your, you being the carrier of peace to every situation you get in. I love how Eugene Peterson says it best in the message paraphrase. He says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. I want you just to close your eyes and bow your head and we're just gonna pray here a final prayer because I want you to embrace the process of becoming a peacemaker. I want you to receive what Jesus wants to give you. And the first thing you gotta settle is, (laughs) do you have peace with God? Some of you in here might not might not be at peace with God himself. And that's the first move. Reconcile your heart to God's ways. Be willing to surrender and submit to his ways. Be willing to make peace with him. And I want to lead you in a prayer like that. But there's a bunch of people in the room also who need to ask themselves, who do I need to make peace with today? Who do I need to make peace with today? And that person is coming to your mind right now. Right now. And I want you to accept that. Make peace with that person. Be obedient. You might not even know how to do it. You might not, you might not even know what the next step is, but do something to start on the road of being a peacemaker. And I promise you, God will show up in the middle of that. So let's pray together. And I, it's, you know, making peace with God is pretty simple. I'm going to lead you through that prayer and I want you to join me. Everybody in the room. You don't just say some words to yourself as I'm saying them. Say some words to God like this. Father, thank you for your peace that shows me how to live. Forgive me, Lord, for being in conflict with you. Forgive me for avoiding the peace you want to give me because I insist on my own way. Forgive me, Lord. I give up. I yield my life. I surrender to you. Your way is better than my way. My way just leads to hatred and violence and anger. I don't want to be a peacekeeper. I want to be a peacemaker. I receive your peace today. Because of Jesus and what he did on the cross, I repent, I embrace your way, and I receive what you have. And then I want to make things right with the people around me. And so, Lord, would you help each of us to identify who we need to make peace with so that we can be people of peace, people who make peace in our culture, people who destroy violence 
and destroy anger, destroy hatred because we bring peace and love and, and kindness into every situation. And sometimes it takes some real guts, some real courage, but Lord, we know that you can give us the strength to do that. So we receive that from you today. And we thank you for everything you're doing to make us into peacemakers. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.